Good morning, church. It is good to be with you. I wanted to mention a few things before we get started. Uh, Hold close to your head what was just read there because there's I know there's a lot that we're going to cover there but hold that close to your head while we take care of just a couple of things one I want to mention is that uh, today after church we have starting point starting point is a uh, gathering we get together we have lunch we talk about the church Uh, it is in particular for people who may be new to KCC Uh, maybe you're visiting with us maybe you've been here for a little while maybe this is your first time uh, maybe you're wondering whether or not you want to make this your church home. This is the opportunity for you to come and get to know us. We'll talk about the things that, that God's called this specific church to, some things that we do here, some things that we believe, uh, all of those things. So we just wanted to let you know, if you would like to come to that, and this is your first time here and you haven't RSVP'd yet, don't worry about that. There's plenty of food. Come. We're going to meet downstairs in 107 after church. Lunch is provided, and we would love to have you there. We'd love to talk to you a little bit. So we're thrilled with the new folks that are coming here. If you're new, we want you to know, we're, man, we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, we want to get to know you. We hope you'll give us the opportunity uh, to love on you and, and tell you about uh, who we are and what God's done for us. So we get to do that. Another thing I wanted to mention is, you know, I hope you, uh, you got your journals with you. If you've got that, there are still some more out there if you don't. Uh, but if you got your journal, let me see that for a minute. Do you have that? I just want to see. Oh, well, that's impressive. Look at that. That's good. If you forgot and left it at home on the coffee table, it's okay. It's, it's okay, Art. We're, we're, it's okay. We are a grace-centered organization. So you don't need to worry about that. You are still welcome here. Don't you worry about that. Uh, and we're going to be continuing on with our study there. But wanted to mention also, if you are online with us, and we have a, a fairly large group of people who watch online, we don't want you to feel left out. Uh, we, would, we have some of these uh, journals still and left, and we would love to send one to you. So if you would like to write into the office, or if you would like to call into the office and request one of these, we'll drop it in the mail and get it to you, because we want you to be a part of this, and we want you to know that we care about you, and we want you to be part of what we're doing here. So uh, you can feel free to do that. Um, Traditionally, we start with a prayer, uh, and we start with a a prayer uh, for believers outside of these walls. Uh, It's a tradition that was begun before me with Jimmy. Uh, who was the last preacher here, and the idea is for us to recognize for just a minute what God's doing outside of these walls, that the kingdom's bigger than this, and that's a wonderful thing. That's right. Amen. We're thankful God is doing his work throughout people all over the world. Typically, uh, typically I pray for another congregation here in this town, but I wanted to do something a little bit different uh, because we do want to, we want to jump onto what God's doing. Uh, and see where he's moving. Uh, I don't know if, if you've been keeping up with this, but there's a, there's a university in Kentucky called Asbury University. It's a Christian university. And since February 8th, they started a chapel service there for their students. And since the 8th, that chapel service has continued day and night. They didn't stop it. They got in there on the 8th. They began to worship. They began to pray. They began to sing songs of praise. And they didn't want to stop. And so they haven't. They're still going. As a matter of fact, you can find some places online where they will show you some some of the live feed of what's going on there. And so when we see people who have decided that what they want to do is they don't want to stop worshiping the Lord. And they want to say prayers of repentance is what's going on there. And and prayer tears that have been shed over what God's done for them. And people who have been drawn closer to God in that way, we want to celebrate that. Anytime people are drawn to the Lord, we celebrate that. That's what we want, right? We want to draw closer to the Lord, 
and we want to draw other people closer to the Lord. And even though these folks may do it in a way that's a little bit different than the way we do, we, they are with us because they claim Jesus as Lord. So let's pray, and then we'll begin uh, our, our study today. Holy God, we thank you for all of the ways that you move. And Lord, we are grateful that you move in many different people and in many different ways. Lord, you are a living God, an active God. Your Holy Spirit moves throughout this earth, drawing people close to you, comforting people, convicting people, uh, showing us our hearts and showing us more of who you are. And so, Lord, we, uh, right now, we pray for uh, what's going on at Asbury University. Lord, we ask that you would keep uh, the praise on their lips, uh, the prayers that are being said, uh, people being drawn closer to you, and that it will never stop. And not only that, we ask that that would go throughout the world, that more people would be a part of that. Lord, we ask that you would draw us in that way, that the praise of our Heavenly Father will always be on our lips in everything that we do and in every way. And so, Lord, we ask that you bless our time here today. Let us be people uh, in constant wonder of what you've done for us. Let us be people who uh, are amazed at the grace that you have for us. So we are people of repentance, and we are people of confession, and we are people of love, and we are people who have been redeemed. And let that not uh, leave our conscience and leave our mind and leave our heart. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Okay, so today, got a, long, uh, got a long scripture. Thank you, Ryan, for reading that. I gave him a whole bunch. But, but I got to thinking, um, you know, it's been like six or seven weeks, and we're still in chapter one, and I know some of y'all are math people. And so you start going, okay, 21 chapters, six weeks a chapter. So we're going to be here roughly until about, you know, 2027. And, uh, but I, I want you to know that there's just so, there's so much good stuff. There's so much good stuff in this. And, and I'm excited to be able to talk about it with you. I'm excited for us to be able to share this with one another. And I hope it's been something that, that has helped you to grow. Uh, one of the things that we mentioned last week that I want you to be thinking about again, this, is, this shapes the way that we look at a lot of this, is this spirit and truth. This phrase in particular is going to come out of Jesus' mouth here in, in the next chapter. And, uh, and so we want to be people who understand that as John writes his gospel and what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was saying and what it all meant, this theme is going to run through it quite a bit. Spirit and truth. Things that are not of the flesh but are deeper than that. There may not be things that you can just see with your physical eyes. It will be something that you have to look with spiritual eyes to be able to see. And then things of truth. And these are things that are eternally true. Things that don't change. These are things that are always true about the nature of God and who we are and the way that God works. And so we're going to do that even a little bit more today. We're going to talk further about that. First, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if uh, you're a fan of movies like this, but there's a lot of movies that have um, this special part in the beginning. Like uh, maybe if you've seen Ocean's Eleven, where at the beginning you see that there's a man, and one of the things that he wants to do is he's got this mission, right? And he wants to rob this casino. And so what he does is he goes and he grabs his team. So he goes around and he grabs his team, and he needs a wheel man, and he needs somebody who's a safe cracker, and he needs somebody who's, in this case, in the first one, you know, who's a gymnast that could fit in this little box. And so he's going and he gathers these people that fit the bill that he needs to do his mission. Or maybe, if you don't know that one, I'll go back a little bit, Magnificent Seven. You remember that one? Same thing. You got a guy who's got a mission, and he's going to go defend this town. And so what he does is he starts to gather these seven people. And each one of them has different gifts, and they fit right into what he's going to do. You know, he's got to have the gun hand, and he's got to have the, the guy that can handle knives, and he's got to have all these different people, and he pulls them together. 
Or for our younger people, if you want to think about one of the Avengers movies, right? You start putting together the team. You got to have uh, the, the, the guy who can fly with the rocket feet, and you got to have the green guy who smashes. And then you got to have that normal guy who shoots a bow and arrow. I'm not sure why, but he's part of the deal too. They're just the, the average guy who shoots a bow and arrow. And what it is usually is there's this montage in the movie, usually at the beginning. The music plays, and you see him coming, and he's gathering people, and he's putting them together, and he gets his team, and he finally has his team the way they want him, and then they go and they fulfill the mission. That's not what this is, okay? You need to know. John didn't write it that way. When he started talking about Jesus gathering his disciples, and for the mission that, that Jesus is going to do, he didn't have that in mind, is to go, I want to show you how he picked all of these special people with these different gifts, and he put them together to form this wonderful team to be able to do that. As a matter of fact, you're going to notice that there's something entirely different that John wants us to see with this. That is not what he's trying to do here. There's something different that's going on. And if I could point out a few things that, that happened with the scripture that was being read here. First, you need to know, it, John doesn't even talk about him gra grabbing the whole 12. If you want to see that, you can go over to Matthew. He doesn't mention the whole 12. As a matter of fact, throughout John, did you know there's two Jameses, and neither one of them are ever mentioned at all throughout the whole book. John doesn't mention his own name throughout the whole thing. So it doesn't start right here, and it doesn't continue with him gathering all 12. That's not the way John put this together. He's not interested in you understanding how he put together this crackerjack team. That's not what's happening here. As a matter of fact, there's only five disciples that are mentioned here at all, and one of them they don't even name, right? One of the things that happens is he says that there were two disciples who were with John the Baptist. They went and followed Jesus, and one of them was named Andrew. Who's the other one? Don't know. Don't mention he didn't even mention his name. That's not part of what he's trying to do here is to make sure you understand. So he starts putting them together, and it's only five that he mentions. And just so you know, starting in the next chapter, it will be referred to as Jesus and his disciples. So it's kind of just he skips that part, and all of a sudden Jesus has all these disciples. He's going to go to a wedding. And it doesn't say how the rest of them come. And the reason is because he's not trying to give an orderly account of how he gathered his team together like maybe Matthew would do. It's something different that's going on here. He doesn't mention how he got the other seven. It's a different thing John wants us to see. Now, let me tell you, before we get into this about how he called the disciples that he did, these, these five, and the way that he went about it, 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 let me tell you a little bit about how the typical process would go if you had a rabbi and he was gathering disciples. Typically, the rabbi did not just walk up to somebody and say, come follow me. That's not what happened. Usually what happened is if you were a student of the word, then what you did was you find a rabbi that you wanted to follow. And so you would go find him and you would express your interest in being one of his disciples. And then he would put you through a process. I mean, there's an interview kind of on this. He's going to ask you a lot of things. He's going to show you some scripture in Torah, and he goes, you, interpret this for me. If he liked the way that you said it, he might invite you to follow him. If he didn't like the way that you said it, then he wouldn't invite you to follow him. This, this was a, a, a pretty lengthy sort of uh, tryout to become a disciple and a follower of a rabbi. And that's not what's happening here either. As a matter of fact, the way that John puts it together, he's trying to make a point, and that's not it. 
It's not about these people that came up and passed this test in some way to be able to be a follower of Jesus in this way. As a matter of fact, if you look at this, and I'm going to give you a few things. If you have a pen, you're ready to do some underlining in there. If you want to, let's start with Andrew and the unnamed disciple. Verses 38 and 39. They leave John the Baptist. They start following Jesus literally behind him. And he turns around and he asks the question. These are the first words, by the way. The first words in the Gospel of John of Jesus. If, if this had the, the red letter edition, this would be the first red letters. And he turns and he asks, what are you looking for? What a great question. What are you looking for? And then they don't know what to do, it seems like. And so just ask, so where are you staying? And he says, come see. And so they begin to follow him. As far as those two becoming disciples, that's all John tells us. They started to follow. He said, what are you looking for? We want to see where you live. He says, come see. And they become followers of that. And they start to, to follow Jesus and become disciples. Then there's Peter. So Andrew goes and he gets Peter. And he tells him, he says, hey, I think we found the one. You need to come with me. We found the Messiah. So in verse 42, Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. Jesus looks at him and says, you're Simon and you're going to be called Peter. Rock. Different name, right? And you need to know, one of the first things that you'll notice with this is to go, that's not the way I remember this story happening when he renames, when he renames Peter. Simon to Peter, that's not the way this happens. If you want to, a little side note there you can put on there. Matthew 16, you can go read that. That's where it tells that story. The story of when Jesus says to him, who do they say that I am? And you look at this and you go, well, this seems a different order. You need to understand, John's not trying to give you things in the perfect order. He's trying to make you understand how Jesus works. What's happening? He's trying to make sure that you understand there's something going on here. Things of spirit and things of truth. And I want you to see what they are. And it's not about getting things in the right order. Here in the West, we love things in the right order, right? And when the West, I don't mean American West. I mean the Western part of the world. We love things in order. We like things orderly. Give me a calendar and show me how this is. And you need to know, for an Eastern person who was writing to an Eastern audience in this way, that was not the most important thing. The most important thing is to show what Jesus is up to here. So one of the things that he says is when Peter does come, he says, you're going to be known as Simon, you will be known as Peter. And so he's trying to make sure that you understand this is the one that he names Rock at that time. Then there's Philip, verse 43. It's a whole different thing. Jesus finds him. It says, Jesus went and found Philip. And he says, follow me. That's that just walking right up and saying, hey, come follow me. And it appears that Philip does. He just drops everything and starts to follow him. And then you have Nathaniel in verse 45. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, and he says, this is the one that Moses has been talking about. In the books of Moses, in the prophets, this is the one. And then Philip uses Jesus' own words, come and see. That's after Nathaniel makes a smart comment and disses Nazareth, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he says, well, come and see. Uses Jesus' own words and then says, come and see. And then as Nathanael walks up, this is when Jesus immediately says, well, here's an Israelite who doesn't have any deceit. He goes, do you know me? And he said, I saw you before. I saw you under the fig tree. And so he brings him in and he says, you are the son of God and the king of Israel. Now, I say all of that to say that in just a few short verses, what you're doing is you're getting an idea of how Jesus gathered people. And it happens in a lot of different ways. John's trying to make sure that we understand. Andrew found Jesus. 
and then he brought Peter. Jesus went and found Philip, and then Philip brought Nathaniel. All the different ways that people came to be disciples and followers of Jesus. I think if there's something that we can gather with this, you need to understand that I don't think Jesus is that interested in how it happens. The gate is very wide for those who want to come and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You find me, I find you, somebody brings you, you have a friend. More than anything, he wants you to know is that we gather people together. And this isn't about Jesus' teaching. One of the things you notice is that John doesn't put in there, well, he was teaching this, and this is convicting them, and so that they came. But instead, he's interested in creating followers. Jesus creates followers, and he does it in all different kinds of ways. He gathers them. You find him, he finds you, someone brings you. We all have different stories of the way that we ended up being followers of Christ if you are one. May have been, there's, there's stories of people I know that cracked open the scriptures and they went through there and they were going, I was convicted by this and this is what drew me to Christ. And then there are other people that go, I grew up in this and I've never known a time where I didn't know who God was. And that's the way that you became a follower. And then there's others that will say, I had a friend who brought me to this. And that's the way that you became a follower. I think what John's trying to get us to understand more than anything is to go, Jesus draws people, he's looking for followers and he takes them in a lot of different ways. And it's not about how much you know, and it's not about you passing a test. That's not the way he gathered these people. It was about people who are willing. Now, it's interesting, as you look throughout Scripture, I can't think of a time where somebody came and said, I want to follow you, that Jesus said no. Now, he would say some other things. He would say, like, look, if you have to go do something else before you can follow me, then just go do that. And there will be times where he goes, you need to know this is going to be hard. You need to count the cost. And he would say other times, you need to know that there's no place to lay your head. This is going to be a difficult road if you want to follow me. But he didn't say no to people. And you need to understand that the way he gathered these people, I don't think, sometimes we look at this in hindsight, and it's like we feel like Jesus had this shopping list of disciples that he wanted. And he goes, I want 12. I need two Jameses. I need two sets of brothers. I need a zealot. I need a tax collector. And he's checking this off as he goes. And I don't think that's the way that it worked at all. As a matter of fact, in the way that John is showing us with this, that what it had to do with is Jesus seeing something in people. You know, it's interesting. When he saw Peter, one of the things, Simon, one of the things that he did is, is go, you're going to be known as Peter. You're going to be the rock. When he saw Nathaniel to be able to go, I saw you, I knew you, even before Philip called. What that looks like, I'm not sure. I don't know that I understand. But it makes me wonder if maybe... What the disciples ended up being was the first 12 people Jesus ran into who had an interest in following him. And he goes, yeah, you have what it takes. Yes, you have what it takes. Now, we know Jesus does know the heart of men because next chapter you're going to see that it says Jesus was going around and performing signs and some people wanted to follow him, but he wouldn't give himself over to them because he knew the heart of men. So there's something going on here where you find Jesus is gathering people, and one of the ways that he's doing it is because he knows the heart of men. But he gathered these people in so many different ways. Here's another thing. Jesus gathers people who gather people. You see immediately, this is the plan. This is the way Jesus is going to operate. If you want to look at what his mission is and what he's trying to do, it starts in the same way that it ends in the Great Commission. I'm going to gather you, you go gather others. I'm going to go gather Andrew. Andrew's going to go get Peter and bring him, right? I'm going to gather Philip. Philip's going to go get Nathaniel and bring him. 
Jesus closes out his ministry with the great commission to us. Is, you go get people. You go get them and bring them to me. All of them. Every single one of them. Of all different shades, of all different localities, of all different backgrounds, no matter where they're from, you go get them and you bring them to me. They can all come, every one of them. Gather them and bring them to me. This is the way that he decided he was going to change the world. And this is the way he still changes the world. This is what we're supposed to be. Is people who were gathered who now gather. That's our call and that's what we're supposed to do. Now, with that, I want to continue on, and I know this is a lot of stuff here, but I want to get to this later part because this is so good. Because this is the way that he kept them. After he started gathering people together, there's the way that he kept them. And then this calling of Nathaniel is one of the things that's really important. I want us to look at that a little closer. So I'm going to read 47 through 51 again. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, first, you need to understand a few things. This is such a unique interaction, and there's so much stuff. We're going to dig into this a little bit. One is the first thing is that there's, I saw you before Philip called you under the fig tree. Now, there's a lot of stuff with this. There's a lot of theories that people have about this. There's a lot of tradition that has to come with rabbinical tradition outside of Scripture of what that could have possibly meant. You know, oftentimes you would see that people would refer to disciples sitting under the shade of a fig tree as they learned from their, uh, as they learned from their, uh, rabbi. That's one of the things that they would do. And then there's also times where it seems like even things like a fig tree are referred to as kind of Torah. These are the things where you, you sit under Torah and you learn from it. So maybe what happened was you had Jesus who saw Nathaniel at one part and said, I saw you studying. I saw you studying and I know who you are. I don't know what he would have been studying. I don't know if maybe he was reading scriptures that have to do with the Messiah. I don't know what it was. I do know there was something about this that made Nathaniel incredulous. There was something that made him switch from how do you know me to I know who you are. You have to be the son of God. You have to be the king of Israel. There's something with this. I don't know what it is, but there was something there that made him change so quick. Now, here's an interesting point, too. As soon as he says that and he says, you're the son of God, Jesus immediately begins to question why you believe. And he seems to have a little bit of a problem with it. So do you believe because I told you something amazing? Is that what this is? Because you saw something or you heard something that's amazing, you're going to believe. Is that what does it? And it seems to imply the way Jesus goes on with this that that's not going to be enough. You know, when you think about the life of Jesus and the stories of Jesus, think about the number of times that you had a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a teacher of the law or the religious leaders that would come to Jesus and go, give me a sign. Give me a sign. Prove it. Show us who you are. It happened several times throughout Scripture. People would come to Jesus and they would go, show us a sign so that we can believe you. No sign, no belief. Now, the interesting thing with that is, Jesus never accommodated them. Never. Every time somebody came and said, show me a sign and I'll believe, 
He wouldn't do it. He didn't do it. There's something about the idea of you give me some proof and I'll follow you that Jesus doesn't seem to be on board with. And the reason, I think, is because what Jesus is trying to do is not to put out proof. He's trying to gather followers. I want followers. I want people who will come walk with me. And here's the interesting thing is if you were a follower, you didn't have to ask. Just hang out near him and you're going to see some things. You're going to see some amazing things. You're going to see everything. And so what this turns into is instead of a request to show me something amazing so I'll believe, is you go, I'm going to stick right next to you, and I'll see what you do. And you will see some amazing things. Instead of the request, it has to do with the proximity to Jesus. It's not our requirement of Jesus that works, that gets him to show us who he is. It's our proximity to Jesus to see who he is and what he does. This is not tests of proof for him because he's not interested in just proving something in a court of law. He's interested in gathering followers. You stick next to me and you see what you'll see. You won't believe it. And the interesting thing with that is signs and wonders when it comes to miracles and things like that, they're not going to satisfy. They're just not. Because what that does is that turns into kind of a transactional relationship. I'm going to ask you for this, and if you'll show me this, then I believe in you. What a ridiculous thing to say, right? That would be like me going to Melissa, my wife, and saying, hey, listen, if you'll uh, help me buy a new pickup truck, I'll believe you're my wife. <laughs> well, that doesn't have anything to do with it, right? She is my wife. This is the relationship. It's not dependent on whether or not she buys me a pickup truck, although if she'd like to, that would be okay. She wouldn't even do that. She could. She could do that. But signs and miracles and wonders are not enough. Now, Jesus did them so that some people would start to believe, but you need to understand it was such a difficult thing. That's why he would not return those requests from people to go, I'll give you one. Let me, let me give you an example. In John 14, you can flip over in your journal there. We'll just turn over to John 14. One of the people who is actually at this meeting, Philip, comes to Jesus, and this is what he says. This is verse 8. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not, do you not believe that I am the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works that themselves. I want you to think about this. This is Philip, who was kind of present around this time, because he's the one that brought Nathaniel. After watching miracle and sign, he watched the feeding of the 5,000. He saw the lame get to walk. He saw the blind start to see. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. And still a follower goes, well... Show me the Father, and that'll be enough. Then that'll do it. Then I'll believe. And what Jesus turns us back into is to go, listen, you're either going to believe in me, or you're going to believe because of signs and wonders. Because what Jesus does is he gathers followers. We follow a person. We don't follow signs and wonders, and we don't follow answered prayers. We follow a person. 
That is who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ. And you know this because here's the thing. If I'm going to put this on the number of times that he will answer my prayers in the way that I ask them, I'm going to be let down. He's not a genie to rub the bottle and to get what you want. You're going to be let down with that. If your faith is based on him answering the way that you ask, your faith is not based on solid ground. It's based on a person. We follow a person. That's who we follow. How many times have you seen or have you experienced where you ask God for something? Maybe there's an illness, or you got financial trouble from some attack in some way. And the answer that he gives you is not deliverance from that, but discipleship. Instead of taking you out of that situation or removing the circumstances around that, what he does is he draws you closer to him. He goes, you stick with me. You follow me. You watch what I do. I've got a couple of people that I think of when it comes to things like this, when it comes to no deliverance but discipleship. Ronnie and Bonnie. I knew two people, separate occasions, had similar issues, Ronnie and Bonnie. Both of their bodies ravaged by cancer. So many prayers, so many prayers in the church family that we sent up on their behalf. So many prayers that they sent up. Ronnie was an elder at a church that I attended, and we all prayed and we gathered around, and we, man, we knocked on the door for the Lord. Take the cancer away, heal him, take the cancer away, heal him, take the cancer away, heal him. Until Ronnie wrote a little book. It's called Cancer, the Gift. If you read it, what you find is Ronnie giving his testimony to say, you need to understand something. I've been given a gift. All the other things fell away, and there's just me and Christ. And I'm closer to him than I've ever been. I have the presence of God right with me, and I never would have had this without it. This is a gift. And he held on to that until he went to meet his Savior in person. Bonnie had a similar story. Cancer attacked her, and we would get together and we would pray with her. And I remember one of my fellow ministers talking about, I prayed with her recently, and he said, as I started to pray, I prayed that she would be healed, and she stopped me in the prayer. Stop. I don't want you to pray that anymore. What? You don't want us to pray that you'll be healed? No. I don't want to be healed. I'm walking a path now that is different than I've ever walked before. I'm walking a path with my Lord where I'm right next to him, different than I ever have, and I don't want to give that up. And I don't want that to go away. And so you pray that I'm spiritually healed. You pray that my soul is given peace. You pray that I'm drawn to God closer than I've ever been before. We follow a person. Discipleship is the gift that we have. That's the best thing that we can have, and that's the best thing that God can give us. And then this is the interesting part with this story. Jesus says this strange thing to Nathaniel, right? He says, you're going to see greater things than this. We don't know exactly what Nathaniel saw with what Jesus said to him about, I saw you under the fig tree, but he goes, if you think that's something, you're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see more amazing things than this. And it makes you wonder, what's more amazing? What could be, what could be better and this is where he says in verse 51, and you need to underline this too. Underline verse 51. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
Now, if I can, this is loaded language again. You remember all of the different times I go, John puts this here for a reason because this connects. And let me tell you, when I go back to the Old Testament and grab something, what I'm doing more than anything is I want us to understand this is one big story, okay? These are not isolated events. There's a reason that we go and look at this. There's a reason John wrote this down. There's a reason Jesus said these things. is because this is the story of God's redemption of a whole world. And it all goes together. So that's why we go back and look, okay? So what I want us to do is go back and look at this. This language, you're going to see heaven open and angels ascending and descending. They know this story. This is the story of Jacob. Have you heard of Jacob's ladder, right? Or stairway to heaven, you know the song, right? This. So, so this is a story that they all know. And it has deep meaning for every follower. Is this story of heaven opening. Let me read this to you. This is Genesis 28. Write this down. You're going to want to go look at this. Oh, this is good stuff. Genesis 28, 12 through 17. This is talking about Jacob as he traveled. He's alone. Okay, verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the east and to the west and the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. They knew this story. They knew this story. Every Jewish believer knows this. This is the man on whom they're named after, Jacob, who became known as Israel. And these are Israelites. These are the children of Israel. And he gave their ancestor, Israel, a picture of something. And here's the picture. There's this pathway between heaven and earth. There's this place where the barrier was broken that Jacob got to see. He got to see in this vision that there's this barrier broken, and God invaded the world at that place. There's this ladder that bridges the gap between the kingdom of heaven and the earth. You could call it a gate, which will come in handy here in a little bit when Jesus calls himself a gate. You see angels ascending and descending on it. So there's this ladder, there's this stairway. God's at the top. The angels go up and down on what? On the stairway. And now you have Jesus going, I'm the stairway. That's me. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on that. He laid out his plan. I'm going to bless the whole world through you, Jacob. And then you have Jesus who's come to redeem the whole world. You have him telling Jacob, I am with you and I'm never going to leave you. And you have Jesus who's named Emmanuel. God is with us. Matthew 1, and he says, I'm not going to leave you until I've done what I've promised, the God of promises, to fulfill my plan that I've had from the beginning. And then the Lord is in this place, as Jacob said. This is where the Lord is. This is the locus. This is the place where God and heaven meet. This is that place. It's God's presence with man. There's no separation at this spot. That's why it was a sacred spot. That's why Jacob marked it. And he goes, this place, this is where God and man meet. And Jesus goes, that's me. I'm that. You're going to see that. 
Better than a miracle, better than a trick, better than me telling you that I saw you under the fig tree. I am going to be the ladder that bridges the gap between God and man. I'm it. You're going to see me redeem the whole world. You're going to see me take sin away. You're going to see me overcome death. It's not going to look the way that you want. This will be an answer to a prayer you didn't ask for me to die on a cross and go to a tomb and be resurrected. You're going to see God is with you in the flesh, dwelling with you. You're going to see the pathway to heaven is me. And I am the way in and I am the way out to the presence of God. You're going to see God's kingdom coming to this earth and you're going to see me bless the whole world. Not just through one sign and one miracle, but through my death and through my resurrection. If you want to believe in me, then you believe in me. I'm gathering followers. I'm looking for people who will stick next to me, who will stay in the presence of God, who will abide in me and who will watch me redeem things that seem to be unredeemable. You watch me put things together. Watch me take ashes and make something beautiful out of it. You watch me take away your sin. You watch me take away your shame. You watch me put you back together in the way that you were intent to be. I set captives free. I will give my life as a ransom for you. That's what you're going to see. That's the greater things. These are the better things. This is what we all look for. This is what we need. John is showing us the greater things in life. And this is what it is for us to be drawn near to God and to watch him do his work in us and in the whole world. We're going to take a minute here, uh, just a few minutes here. We're going to spend some time in prayer. I want to tell you, we do this regularly. We want to be a house of prayer. We want to be people who pray about this. So here in a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to say a prayer. And then we're going to have a few songs. And during that time, go to the Heavenly Father. Go alone. Go with people next to you. Go back with elders and ministers around here. We would love to pray with you about you being drawn closer to God so that you can see the amazing things, the greater things that are happening in this life. And let me tell you too, if you're here with us and you have not yet decided that, hey, this is the guy I'm going to follow. This is who I want to attach myself to. I want to see these greater things. I want to draw near to him and just follow him around and watch him do his work. We would love to tell you about that. We would love to show you how you start this new life that you give yourself to Christ, you're buried in baptism with him, and then you're this new creation. That's one of the greatest, greater things that happens here is when people get redeemed, and we would love to talk to you about that. If you would stand, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then we're going to have a few songs and some prayer time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the way that your Holy Spirit inspired John to write down these things that he saw and to write them down in such a way that we get to see what is spirit and what is truth. And Lord, we want more than just signs and wonders of the flesh. We want, uh, we want spiritual truth. We want to be drawn near to you. We want you to fill us. We know that the greatest gift that we could have is not that you answer our prayers, it's that you are with us and that we are with you, that we belong to you, that we get to walk with you. Lord, for those of us who may have been too far away and we need to be drawn closer together, hear our prayer today. Lord, for those who may not know you yet and are being drawn to you in some way, just like we saw these different disciples being drawn to you, Lord, we, we ask that you would give them courage to step out. They can trust you. They can belong to you. There's freedom and there's redemption in it. Lord, hear our prayers. Hear our worship. See our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.